As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Don't Racing film star. Podcast. That's where we sometimes just in sportsman drag racing. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Big Jed Jared Pennington. He with the non-mute button. Uh, how are you, Big Jed? Well, I am well, Bogak. Hope you are as well yourself. Life is good, my man. Life is good. We uh as per usual, I am uh at home in Southern Illinois, Big Jed is at home in middle of the great state of Alabama. We're coming off a big weekend. We've got a lot to discuss. Thank you to those of you watching live. We we kicked this off a little bit early, uh, earlier than, than scheduled this morning. So for those of you that have joined us early, thank you. For those of you listening by traditional means uh, on the audio feed, on the podcast feed, again, welcome to you as well. We appreciate you guys being here. Big Jed. Big Red didn't get done in time to make it to where I was. The TB Promotions 100K, which we'll dedicate the majority of this episode to. But it is my understanding that Big Red did make its season debut last weekend. Tell me about it. Yeah, she uh, she got out of the shop under her own power for the first time all year um, early last week. Did not get any runs on it. Didn't feel like that uh, that shark tank was where I needed to be, untested. And as it turned out, it was a good decision. It did make its debut Saturday night. Uh, did get a quarterfinal finish, but just battled um, little inconsistency issues pretty much all night. Um, not real sure if it was the weather or the car. I, I tested it on Thursday. It was pretty good. Then I go back Saturday and it was not pretty good, but we did manage a quarterfinal finish out of it. So all in all, uh, happy with the, with the start the first time out and um, 
I actually have it uh, at uh, AD Race Cars at the moment, uh, getting a converter change and uh, AD's switching her over to the lawnmower fuel. Um, we're ah. going to try a little something different. Going to go with Gasahol here for a little while and see see how she likes it. So that's um, AKA track manager, AD. Yes, a new good time. Baileyton Drag Strip track manager. Yes, uh, starting his uh, track managership tomorrow evening at the good time. So that is news for sure. 100%. Excited for AD. Excited for you too. You're going to burn the colored fuel. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. He's uh, he's got a really good gas set up, and uh, former uh, sponsor of the show, Luke Siebert, uh gas carburetor. Um, that I'm really excited about it, Siebert Performance. So um, pretty uh, pretty jacked up just to go give it a shot Saturday night. The good time. Sounds like you've got a race car that you're happy with. I'm in a similar boat. I got three and a half race cars that I'm happy with. I got nothing to show for it for the weekend. The the TV promotions 100K was a great time. Uh, we'll we'll dive into it. Not much success on the racetrack on our end. Uh, I lost three rounds on the weekend, Big Jed, by a combined total of five thousandths of a second, and did it oh. in any way you could do it. Turned it red, gave it back, broke it out, just all by a little bit. No, that's uh, that's one of those difficult weekends because you were so close yet so far away. Yeah, yeah, made some good runs till I didn't. So, yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> well, let's talk about what everybody else did. Absolutely. That's why we're here. So, TV Promotions 100K, definitely the story of the weekend. I think the, the fairest point to start is our predictive powers, Big Jed, while they looked really strong there for a couple of months, we might have lost it. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not near as hot on the bracket racing predictions as I am super gas, but you know, it is what it is. I don't guess you can be great at everything. Luke. That's true. You got to pick your battles, right? So we did, we did uh, pick our champions of the hundred grander. We, we bricked, uh, I picked J.R. Barclay. I believe he made it down to 16 cars. You picked Hunter Patton. He may have lost the same round 32, 16, something like that. They both went a couple rounds. They both gave us reason to cheer, obviously ended up going a different direction. We tried to uh, we tried to pick a fifty thousand dollar winner. My pick was Jeremy McCaig. Your pick was Todd Sensony. They both fell short, like had less than stellar weekends, similar to myself, right? So not getting on anybody. Our picks bricked a little bit, but those that did not, I guess the headline, Big Jed, one hundred thousand dollars richer. My man Lane Dickin. Lane Dickin got the main event. $100,000 win Saturday night over Taylor Bowling. Semi-finalists were Jamie Tupper and Jeremy Bargo. And if you were on last week, you know that the way that that race was structured, everybody that was involved late got paid, but nobody got paid quite like Lane Dickin. Yeah, Luke, uh, before we talk about that, though, how many, what was the car count in the, in the 50s? I, I know what was predicted uh, I heard an exact count. It was full from what I gathered. So it was right around that 450 mark. It was 463. I don't know if you see in the show notes what I don't know if you see in the show notes what I picked, but uh I, I know what you picked. I just never heard the actual count. And okay. I, I I take back everything I said earlier. Nostradamus, you are. <laughs> yeah, so did get that right. Uh Whitworth uh sent me a message, said good call on that. But back to Lane Dick and Luke, you know, as much 
love as you and I both have for Lane Dickin. How did he not get picked? We know, we, we know how great Lane is. We know that he's quiet great. He might be the quietest great of anybody in the sport. This guy is like, you don't even know he's coming to the track, but he shows up at the, all the big ones and he's freaking always right there, always. And he comes out and wins this 100K shootout over Taylor Bowling, which I was super excited for Taylor. Um, obviously, a, a guy that's got a lot of versatility, does well on the bottom bulb, does well on the top bulb, talented young man, and really just got himself a, a life-changing or at least a year-changing day there. So really happy for him. The Canadian and the Kentuckian in the semis, this thing had some of everything. It had an Iowa transplant to Tennessee. It had a bottom bulber. It had a Canadian. It had a, a hillbilly from Kentucky. And I love Jeremy Bargo. So I say that with as much affection as you can. Just fantastic, fantastic 100K shootout. And Luke, I don't know exactly how the numbers worked out. And it really doesn't matter to me, but I guarantee everybody got a nice slice of that cash pie. Yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit just because we we did discuss it last week and I was interested to see how it shook down. Back to your original point, Jed, I couldn't remember for the life of me. I didn't have our, our show notes from last week in front of me at the event, and I could not remember who you picked to win the main event. I, the Hunter Patton's name was slipping my mind for whatever reason, right? I couldn't put that connection together. And I'm thinking in the late rounds, I'm like, Jed always picks Lane. Like, what if Jed had Lane? And then Lane won, and I didn't get a, a text message. You you have a, a a subtle way of reminding those around you when when you don't think like that. So I just dismissed it within the next 24 hours. I'm like, I think I'd have heard about it if that was Jed's pick. But yeah, that crossed my mind because you you I know we're both of us, but but I know you we're both Lane Dick and aficionados. But yes, I know that you've picked him in the past. So that that thought definitely crossed my mind. Yeah. And had I, you, you know me well enough to know had I picked him, it, it wouldn't have, it would have been a, a fairly short period of time and you, you would have heard about it. So uh, <laughs> I hate I didn't pick Lane. I, I don't know how many times I have picked Lane to win something like this and he gets close and then I go and don't pick him and he wins it. You're welcome, Lane. But and I'm still, I'm brokenhearted and I'm disappointed in myself. To to your point, I would have heard about it within the hour. If, <laughs> Most if, likely. If Lane Dickin resided in the state of Alabama, 30 seconds tops. 30 seconds. <laughs> very likely. Very likely. <laughs> Lane, Lane Dickin, I mean, I know it's very easy for us to just hop on here each week and sing the praises of whoever just won the latest race because they're the new bracket racing Jesus, right? Like that's kind of the way that this works. But uh, Lane Dickin, I mean, we've said this before and and you summed it up well, Jed, in, in the way that he just kind of humbly goes about his business and is and is one of the 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 quietest, probably big dollar winners on on the on this stage uh, for a lot of different reasons, not just his personality, but I think the way that people talk about him, right? And what's so impressive about Lane to be completely honest, is just how little he does it. Like, this is not a guy that's out there every Saturday night. He's not even at every big event. He very much picks and chooses. Like, I feel like that's not putting words into Lane's mouth, but he's at a, a, a point in life where racing is not necessarily a priority. But when he goes, he means business, obviously. Is, well, I guess what's most impressive is someone that's tried to, to kind of meddle in that 
from time to time and try to show up once every couple of months. Like it doesn't go particularly well for me. It's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to roll into any of these races, no matter how often you race or, or how good of equipment you have. I think it's immensely harder to come in just completely cold on that stage and lane for now several years. It's not like, I, I don't want to overblow this. It's not, he doesn't win every race that he goes to, but the dude doesn't go to eight, 10 events a year. And it seems to knock off one of these every year, 18 months. Like it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Look, he's, he's, he's doing it at, at such a infrequent pace that it's, it's almost impossible for him to compete like he does. And then when he's doing it, you know, $5,000 tabs are, are the races he's choosing. So you couldn't do it long. I don't think unless you did it well and he's still getting it done and taking care of those tabs in the next mini that he has. So it's really incredible because he only chooses the highest profile of events to attend and big money and comes out and does what he does. The guy is super impressive, you know, and it, People might think, doggone, yeah, Lane does well. I, I hear about him from time to time. This guy's been doing this for a long time. He's been winning races for a long time. I can remember when his name would would get, you know, blurred out or doctored up on dragraceresults.com 15 years ago. Uh, people would say, you know, Lane Dickin just won this or won that. And you couldn't say part of his name. <laughs> you couldn't type it out on Drag Race Results. So, you know, it would get scratched through it or whatever it got, but, uh, but it's pretty impressive uh, how long he's done this and certainly the level he's doing it with uh, with very little seat time in comparison to, to most of the people in the other lane for him. Without question, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to pull it up just, just to give a little bit of, uh, of witness to your statement that Lane's been doing this a long time. Like, I feel like Lane kind of burst onto the national scene when he won the World Super Pro Challenge at Mid Michigan. And I'm thinking that had to be close to 20 years ago. I was trying to pull up their flyer because I know that they they list uh, all of the uh, the winners on it, but I don't have it right in front of me. But yeah, Lane's been doing this at a high level for a long time. And like I say, the last couple of years, it's just if he rolls in, it's probably paying six figures. And he just, it, again, it's, it's not like he's winning every event that he goes to, but to run, to race as little as he does and have the success that he does earmarked by something like this, uh, really, really incredible stuff. And not only did, did Lane win the event, he put on the show that you would expect Lane Dickin to, or really whoever was going to win this race. Cause it was an all-star field from top to bottom. Uh, I think Lane quote unquote got away with an 18 light, maybe at 16 cars left. Other than that, I believe he was double O every time he let go for the seven rounds of this race. And the last three rounds, uh, his worst light was six. His best light was five. I'm guessing that's about what he was aiming for. Pretty good stuff. And, and obviously, the $100,000 win is the highlight of the weekend. But Lane was impressive throughout the entire event, as evidenced by winning the TB Promotions MVP award. And I don't have any insight. Like, I, I'm not in the tower i was not listening to every round but my assumption would be just from what i could pick up on at the track my assumption is if there was a debate there between brian whitworth tyler bohannon and and that crew my assumption is the debate was between lane dickon and that hillbilly from kentucky big jay jeremy bargo was laying it down all weekend it seemed like i heard him 
um, opposed by a sub 15 package that lost at least three, four times throughout the weekend. Vargo was making really nice laps. Yeah, Jeremy is that good, has uh, has done extremely well over his racing career and certainly a guy that's capable of getting it done on any stage. Um, I didn't get to see that uh, those last couple of rounds, so I'm assuming he was in the, the S10 in the shootout or was yes. he? Yeah, okay. I believe that's so, what he drove all weekend, yeah. So fun to watch, you know, uh, popping wheelies and going out there and, you know, running the running the dial, making great runs. Um, a lot of, a lot of fun to watch him compete in that truck, but he is a bad, bad man as you know, and it was all of them, obviously uh, everybody in that shootout when you looked over the list. So it was a crap shoot there, but um, when you, when you compete at that level and, and win at that level, Knowing when you look back, when Lane looks back at the the list of people in that shootout, that's going to have to feel extremely good knowing that you come out on top of a, a field that talented. That could possibly have been the the most the most talent assembled in a shootout that I've ever seen. I know we're in a day and age where everything's the greatest we've ever seen, but my goodness, that list, when I looked over, it was unbelievable. And it felt like it got even saltier, like at the track, like the, the published list to who showed up. Cause there were some names I thought missing on the, on the list that, that they, they weren't really missing. I mean, there was a handful of the, the usual suspects that, that weren't at Bowling Green, but there weren't many. It was, it was definitely a stacked field. And I did want to circle back around to the, the financial aspect of this, because we built it up pretty good last week. This event, was originally scheduled to be a 64 car, $100,000 to win shootout, which obviously if you do the math, there's $2,000 entry fee, you know that it was $100,000 to win and then a pretty steep drop-off. Well, with the overwhelming interest and following that this race developed immediately, I mean, it sold out in what, half an hour? Um, the uh, the 450 entries, much less the, the 64 car shootout and they had a huge waiting list for it. So the decision was made and it was a great decision to basically double that race, make it 128 cars, but leave that hundred thousand dollar top prize alone. All of that additional money, this was a hundred percent payback bonus race. Basically all that additional money went back into the, the lower end of the purse. And it made for just this incredible payout on paper. The, the original purse was structured a hundred thousand dollars to win 50 grand to runner up 25 to the semis, 10 grand to the quarters. And we speculated a week ago, Jed, as rich as that purse is and as deep as it goes, this may not get cut at all. And this basically, for a while, it followed that trend. They got all the way down to the final eight cars before there was any negotiation to speak of, at least as far as I know. And at that point, everybody was guaranteed 10 grand. My understanding is they kicked a little bit more back there, not much. And the finalists had, what, hundred and. Thirty thousand dollars to to share and to do what they will. I don't know exactly how that shook down, but there's a whole lot of money left for Lane Dickin and Taylor Bowling. They both walked away in really good shape. Yeah, you know, Luke, we did have a great discussion about it the prior week or, or the week of the event, knowing that that purse was spread out so generously down the line, especially when you got to the the quarterfinals and beyond, and really. You know, in terms of splits, everybody wants to get a real big piece of the pie. But for a little while in a, in a shootout like that, you've got a significant investment in your 
you're trying to cover it. And then once that gets covered and, and it's multiplied a few times, I think that that probably relaxed everyone and they didn't have the need really to, to make a lot of cut in the purse, which I think is fantastic. Certainly uh, kudos to Tyler Bohan and Brian Whitworth for the decision they made, how they added that additional money to the purse, keeping it a hundred grander. It was a wonderful decision. I think that format could become very, very popular. I think what they did here could could be something that gets uh, gets copied somewhere down the line because certainly it left a lot of money for the finalists, which is really cool. Those guys, I don't think, raced for a lot of money between the two, but they were racing for a lot of money. So really cool thing that uh, that those guys did by doubling that entry count and taking that additional money and and putting it back in the field solid idea and it looked like um looked like it worked out exactly like they had planned you bring up an interesting thought there jed in that for years the the thought process has been i think on behalf of all promoters like what racers look at is the entry fee and the winner's purse so you dangle a winner's purse of let's just go to the extremes, you know, a million dollars or $500,000 or what have you, knowing full and well that when this race gets down to 20 cars or less, the racers are going to divvy that up as they see fit. Well, essentially the way that this race shook out, the flyer was the typical split, right? And and obviously it was a little bit done in in some way kind of after the fact, after most of the pre-entries were in. And and obviously we were all fighting for spots at that point. But I don't know. I think I would like to think that as consumers, as racers, we are smart enough now to look at that person and go, wow, that's an amazing race. Even though it doesn't pay $200,000 to win, it pays $100,000 to win. But that's probably the split that we would come up with on our own. And I'll just say this, and we'll get a little bit more into the atmosphere of the event, which was pretty incredible. I think that that played into it significantly simply because, A, the money is enormous, right? I mean, it's similar once you once they got down to semifinals or so, like it's not far off from a typical million dollar race at that point. Like it's about the same amount of money that's in the purse. And I feel like it the atmosphere was even elevated simply because the way that the race was structured, it took the burden off of the remaining competitors to figure that out. They didn't have to worry about math. They just had to worry about racing. And I think that's pretty cool. Very cool. And, and certainly, I think, leads to just better competition, you know, that not thinking about what you're staging for and, and the, the big difference between a win and a loss. You know, and certainly there was significant money between wins and losses there late in the race, but it wasn't significant to where you you leave devastated by what you collected. So, you know, when you're when you're thinking I could have won a hundred thousand, but you leave with two thousand late in the race, that's pretty disheartening. But when you think I could have won a hundred thousand and I leave with ten or fifteen or twenty-five, then that makes it a little more easier to to digest. And certainly I think that leads to the best competition or the best numbers on the board. So, uh, and I think that that showed Luke in those final rounds, typically big money final rounds can get a little sloppy, not stupid, but can get a little sloppy. I think this stayed pretty solid throughout the, the late part of the race. 
I would agree with that. Shouts to more easier. All right. So we yes. discussed Lane Dick and we discussed Taylor Bowling to an extent. We're going to circle back with a whole lot more on the TV promotions, 100K, the other winners, the atmosphere around the event. It was pretty electric. It was pretty cool. We'll yeah, dive into that. But first, let's take a quick break to talk about another TB promotions race on the horizon guys pre-entry for the TB twin fifties open on Tuesday, May 16th. That's this coming Tuesday, noon Eastern time. Don't miss this great opportunity to race at worldwide technology raceway. That's near St. Louis, Missouri, June 15th through the 18th. The race will feature twin $50,000 to win main events along with a 25 K Sunday plus Thursday's winner will win a brand new Mullis race car, completely wired, painted, and assembled with only $199 down, balance due at the gate. Racers can race for big bucks for just $7.99 total. Again, pre-entry opens Tuesday, May 16th, noon Eastern at RaceDerbyCity.com. Make sure to mark your calendars because if Bowling Green Jed was any indication, entries will go quickly. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, definitely want to be ready when uh, when the gates open for the pre-entry and uh, and have your name in the hat. Um, twin fifties, great atmosphere, great facility, and uh, you know, uh, I say this not sliding anyone, but very affordable. I mean, when you look at big money racing, this is an affordable weekend for you to go compete in all of the races. Uh, twin fifties and a twenty-five k. Hard to beat, and uh, these guys are showing that uh, that they're really capable of doing great things at the event and creating a great atmosphere. So, guys, be ready May the sixteenth. Uh, it'll be it'll be time to get yourself signed up. Back to Bowling Green. The race kicked off Thursday with a twenty five thousand dollar primer that was won by Josh Lutke. Lutke defeated Chris Morris in the final round. Josh Lutke, Big Jed. Becoming a very familiar name in the winner's circle. I, I don't know that he's knocked off the biggest checks of anyone over the course of last year, but I think it's fair to say he's won as many big ones as anyone over the course of the last calendar year, specifically at these TB Promotions events. Lutke can win anywhere. He's proven that. But he's a big fan of the TB Promotions. It was at, at the race that we just previewed uh, near St. Louis last year that Lukey put on a show, was in back-to-back $50,000 finals. He picks up the opening twenty five grander in Bowling Green this time around. Yeah, Josh Lukey, another one that, you know, you wonder why I didn't pick. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, why didn't I pick Lukey to win one of these? He always wins one of these. So, Jed. Um, 150 different people could have won, and we'd say, ah, why didn't we pick him? It's so obvious. Yeah, but you should have known. Field was that talented, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, no no kidding. The uh, field was super talented, but Josh, just one of the best competitors out there. You know, he does well at the, the OG Millions. He does well at the Flings. He does well, obviously, at TV promotions events. Guy's incredible, just so talented, and Great equipment, you know, driving for Law Chevrolet for Steve Law and uh, running in a, in, a, in an event that Law's a, a sponsor of. So that had to feel good for all the, the Law Chevrolet guys uh, and really good for Josh. He's just he's a very humble and, and great champion. So happy for him. Happy for Chris Morris. That was a big deal for Chris. Chris uh, dabbling in promotion of events, uh, trying to trying to do all he can in the sport and Certainly a guy that uh, that's very capable when he gets out on the racetrack too, Luke. So I was, uh, I was excited to see Chris make that final and, 
and Josh get that big 25K opener. Door car dragster final in that Thursday opener. Door car dragster final in the $100,000 main event, Lane Dickin over Taylor Bowling. Door car dragster final in the first 50 grander that started its uh, its existence on Friday, ended up finishing uh, around lunchtime Saturday, had some weather delays Friday night, pushed that the late rounds of that back into Saturday. But that $50,000 main event, but Chad McKee, Big Jed, getting the victory over Blake Fuquay. If the name Chad McKee sounds familiar, there was a time in life where I used to I used to give Chad McKee a hard time. I'd say, Chad, when when it lists occupation on the tech card, do you just write I run the twenties that surround the million? Because there was a time I don't I don't have it in front of me, but the the surrounding races at the million dollar race, they uh, Chad McKee owned them for like a three four year span. I believe he won both of them one year. And one of them, like the two years prior to that, McKee won a bunch of races that surrounds a million. His show doesn't get on the road a bunch. He's a Tennessee, I believe, based racer. But yes. when he shows up, he shows out. And, and that's something that hasn't changed over the course of the last two decades. Chad McKee, fast door car, bringing home that $50,000 victory Saturday morning. Yeah, big deal for Chad. Uh, you know, when when he was winning those 20s around the million, Luke, he was doing it in, a, I guess, a third gen or maybe a fourth gen, third gen, fourth gen Camaro, really nice car. I get my uh, dad's confused. That's an IROP style Camaro. That's a fourth yeah, gen. Uh, yeah, here you go. IROP. Yeah. So uh, Chad, uh, obviously been doing this a long time now, doing an X Pro Stock Cutlass, super nice car, small block powered, going low fives, fun car to look at, fun to watch. And Chad's just, he's another one of those quiet, humble champions, uh, when he gets out of the car, it takes him a minute. He's no puppy. He's a he's a big old tall dude, so he unfolds himself out of the car. But just uh, intimidating to look at going fast in that car and a big guy. You talking about a just a real nice man? That's Chad McKee. Happy to see Blake Fuquay get that that runner up, Luke, in the fifty. That's Blake. Don't get a lot of opportunities on the racetrack anymore. He's he's real busy with uh, with his and his father's business, making wheels and certainly um, doing other types of machining work and, and manufacture work, but I mean, fabrication work, but that was a huge deal for Blake. Happy to, to see him make a big final round like that. And, uh, and certainly um, Chad McKee, that had to be extra special. He, he lost his father uh, last year. And uh, that's a, that was a combination that you saw everywhere. If one of them was there, both of them were there. They traveled together. They did everything together. And um, Mr. McKee was a, he was a super nice and highly respected guy in the in the pits. Uh, everybody loved him. Everybody uh, everybody always wanted to take a little time to say hello to him. He was that type of guy. So he was a big loss for for certainly the McKee family, but it was a big loss for all of us. And uh, Chad, to my knowledge, Luke, getting his first really big stage win since his father passed away uh, had to be extra special no question battle of uh, of second generation drivers there in the final i think uh, most of our listeners are familiar with blake's father that's iron mike fuquay multi-time ihra world champion obviously the uh, the nut doesn't fall too far from the tree in this case uh, Blake, as you mentioned, super talented racer that uh, I think it's fair to say this was his biggest splash on the big stage to date, but I think there's more to come. And Luke, you know, you, you talk about Iron Mike. Uh, really, if you look back, he is 
one of a pair of guys, he and Dave Zerlag, that really changed big money bracket racing with 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 racer promoted events. It's now, I mean, that's now the norm. But when those guys did it, it was not the U.S. Nationals of bracket racing was not the norm. It was a big deal. They were very and, much pioneers in, in and this. Those big- guys. Those guys, uh, you know, really blazed a trail for for a lot of us. So uh, Iron Mike should get should get a lot of credit for that. Not only his talent on the track, but his uh, his vision. It's funny too because this crossed my mind over the weekend, Jed. The the last and and at least to my knowledge only, at least in recent years, quote unquote suitcase promoter to come into Beach Bend Raceway Park and 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 have the 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 faith and the blessing of that family the trust to to put on an event it was Mike and Dave I mean, years ago the U.S. Open came Great to Bowling Green and so for an an outside and a quote unquote outside event to to come into that storied facility once again years later and then for Blake to emerge in the final like I just thought like there's a there's a circle of life moment here you know, like it was yeah it got me to think it's pretty cool stuff very good point. I didn't, didn't even put that together. That's a great point. I had some event takeaways and, and I'll, I'll take most of this, Jed, just from, from being on staff, like, or being on, on premises, obviously tremendous job to the TV promotion staff. The event was well run. It was well organized. They had some challenges with weather. It seemed like every time that I looked at the weather app on my phone, Jed, starting like Thursday afternoon, it said it was going to rain in two hours. Every time I looked at it, it's going to rain in two hours. And it just kept not raining for the most part. We had some sprinkles Friday night. And I'm like, man, tomorrow looks awful. Wake up, sun's out. I'm like, well, it's going to rain in two hours, but we'll get started. And you look down at noon, like, it's going to rain in two hours, but we'll get in what we can. And, and it just kind of kept holding off until Sunday. The sky's open and it was a, is a complete washout about noontime Sunday. But for all of the challenges and all as stressful as that had to be on the, on the staff, um, made good calls throughout, checked all the boxes. I personally, I love the junior dragster inclusion. We talked about that a little bit a week ago uh, and, and actually got an opportunity to, to speak briefly in the stage and lanes with Brian Whitworth about that. And and his point was one that that we've made here on the show, Jed, like as difficult as it is to take up the pit space and find time in the schedule to include juniors. Um, I do think, and and Brian echoed this, like, I think it's vital to the ultimate growth of the sport because you do see, we've seen for years, a, a, a lower graduation rate, if you will, than we might expect from junior racing to what we typically talk about here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I do think part of it is for the most part, the junior crowd is never really introduced to what we do. So they have aspirations of being Sean Langdon. Well, Sean's a bad example because Sean does what we do, but aspirations of being a top fuel driver or uh, a street outlaws driver or a 10-5, like not necessarily aspirations to, to run super comp or to big dollar bracket race because there's no intermingling of it, right? They, they're just not introduced to this world to see how engaging, how fun, how cool it can be. So mixing them together, I think is a, is a big thing for the future of the sport. Brian felt exactly the same way. The the way that this race was run and, and the weather challenges, like junior dragsters rightfully got put on the back burner a little bit at times, but 
they absolutely made it right to all the kids in the end. Like it was, it was a, just as a junior parent there, it was an awesome experience and, and we didn't do any good. Right. But it was, it was a ton of fun. The, the Saturday night show was as cool in person as anything that I've been a part of. And I'll, I'll circle back to it, but a big part of that was they emphasized butts in the seats, right? And it's hard. Bowling Green's a big place, right? So it's not, I'm not going to paint the picture like it was packed, but I think that I heard they sold like five to 500 to a thousand spectator tickets. And it was enough that that area up by the starting line, it just had an electricity to it. it. And I think we can all attest, like it's just more fun to race when there are people watching, right? Plus you get the elevated stakes, like everything about it, pretty cool atmosphere. And that whole area, like they had a freaking mechanical bull, Jed. Like they, they had the trailer concessions and all this stuff going on in the, in the little like kind of fair area beside the starting line, that freaking mechanical bull. Like you can just imagine where that went with our crowd, right? They prioritized the daily races for the most part, which was the races that, that everyone there was entered, right? So that made sense. And yet in doing that, they still managed to make the $100,000 main event, the race that, by the way, they didn't make a dime on. That was still the spectacle that I think we all expected it to be. So kudos all the way around there. If I have one bit of constructive criticism, it's the the opening day schedule. Like it's the race ran fairly efficiently throughout. It's just when you've got 450 cars and a time trial and a re-entry round, like it's just not that's not a one day thing. Right. And, and, or it's a diff, it's a long, long one day. They, they got it all done, but Josh Lukey ran that Thursday final at like 3am. That's just hard on everybody, right. Racers, staff, everybody. But again, like, I don't think it was a flaw of pace as efficient or efficiency as much as like, that's a difficult decision to make as a, as a promoter, because the other option to that, Jed, and I'm interested to hear where you fall on this. The other option is to have a, like a dedicated time trial day, and that creates its own issues as well. But man, that's a lot to pack in. And especially on day one, they overcame that. Everybody seemed to have a blast, but I just think it's like hard to have fun when you don't get any sleep on day one all the way across the board. I think it puts everybody on a little bit of edge. Yeah, Luke, I, I think that's very fair for for your take on that. and certainly. Um, I would think when the finals run at 3 a.m., I would think most agree. So you live and learn, um, you know, I, probably on paper that should have run a lot faster, but we know that there's time between rounds, there's dragsters, there's, you know, maybe an oil down or a cleanup. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think it was the first day the guy uh, got in the wall down at the far end. So that I think that delayed things. I'm not sure which day that was, but those types of things happen. And you, you basically got a crowd and a, a race structure that can't afford any interruption whatsoever. And it's inevitable that you're going to get interruption. So I think, uh, think those guys probably learned a lot from that. Maybe, maybe the first day, if you're going to give a time trial, and I think probably most people appreciated the time shot. If you're going to do that, I think maybe the first day should be no buyback. You know, you add a little bit to the entry fee, let them know that it's a no buyback day just because of the time trial and, you know, things will change the rest of the weekend. Not real sure what the answer is. Certainly Brian Whitworth and, and Tyler Bohannon will, will figure that out uh, and I don't have to. So 
no, no, to be clear, like I'm not knocking those guys. We've had similar yeah. at the race that I put on. That's a half of that, right? Um, at the, the just from a broader picture, though, like what is the answer there? A time trial and and cutting out buybacks, like you said, is it limiting the field to fewer cars? Is it how much? Like it, the thought crossed my mind, Jed, and I know that all of these races in this day and age, it's it's not what we think of as a traditional buyback, like from the BM series days, where basically just everybody's into second round. There's a re-entry round. Well, that adds some time to the the field. I, I I'm thinking in a race of that magnitude that probably adds an hour to the day. I don't know if that's necessarily enough to cut out. I it's just an interesting thought process to think like in a perfect world, you want to do all of that in one day. I don't know that it's realistic with 400 plus cars. So like what, what is the best option to cut out? I will, I will float this idea by you, Big Jed. This actually came from my four-year-old. And when he first said it, I thought, Jack, that's crazy. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know, it's kind of an interesting wrinkle. Jack's having a race on Rugburn Raceway over there. And he said, my man said, no first round buybacks today. We got too many cars. Buybacks second round only. Well, yeah, I mean, at first I thought that's crazy, but it, it kind of checks the boxes. Like, is that that does that that far out in left field? It is not that far out in left field. I really like his thought process there. How about if and, it's and, fourth round only? Uh, yeah, second fan. round makes a little more sense. Second round's probably about as deep as you want to take that buyback uh, into the to the race, but uh, you know it would be a pretty cool format, Luke. Uh, certainly a lot less eligible racers for the buyback, but uh, whatever the answer is to to keep from stretching everybody out so long on that first day, I know B Dub and and Tebow will certainly figure that out and come up with a great solution. All you race promoters listening, both of you. When I see a flyer, second round only buybacks, I'm going to call for royalties on behalf of my son <laughs> coming. Uh, I like it. Uh, this, the atmosphere around the race, circling back to that, the wind lights bets thing, Jed, like I'm, I was a little bit hesitant at first and on some level, like still am. I think it, as I've said for years, I, I do think that, that, gambling of some form is the inevitable next step for our 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 nation niche in this sport whether we like it or not we might as well like it i'm just telling you like having been to two big events now where win light bets was on the premises and involved and and the app is beginning to get some traction but more so just the the at track atmosphere uh, that they add to it i'm intrigued like this it it definitely adds to the vibe at the race right and in this event let's talk first about about when like bets like they're set up in the staging lanes adjacent to the tower they've got the lounge there like it, it's a big deal it feels like you kind of walk into a casino right and practice trees set up like it's it's very much like a party vibe and i'm telling you it just it just elevates things a little bit knowing that everybody's involved in this gaming aspect of it and then at this particular event, you throw fuel on top of that fire. Uh, Champ had put together this huge Calcutta, right? It's like it was over $10,000 to win. And you know that there are people on the grounds involved in that as well, right? So people that aren't necessarily in the race have a significant rooting interest, right? So all that was cool, but I'm sure you've seen the meme, Big Jed, 
for all that Win Light Fets is doing, we got to rein in the ladies. This almost got ugly. Yeah, it did get ugly. <laughs> it almost got, uh, you know, tragic, really, is what it almost got. It was, um, it was quite a, I can only imagine live right there uh, from the cockpit for Connor Dickerson, but uh, it, it, it was a scary moment, really, uh, when you, you've got somebody out there that, that don't really understand how the, how this all works. And, you know, for any of our, our listeners who, who have missed this, just explain what happened first. Yeah. So they, they've obviously got, uh, I guess what could be described as a, as a, a ring girl, but it's a round girl, you know, she, she's got a sign. I don't know what the sign said. Obviously I couldn't see it in the video, but she's, uh, she's holding up a sign and she's out there to let everybody kind of know, what's going on or what's about to happen and she she is in the the outside of the left lane uh connor dickerson is uh is is about to begin his burnout actually but had begun it when she started her motion the the female round girl starts walking across the racetrack in his lane between he and the starting line to to announce hey this is what's going on and she's She's loud and proud and got that bad boy up in the air and strutting. And this guy's burning out trying to get up, you know, do his burnout and get up there and stage for a hundred K. And he had to give up. He just had to he give up the burnout right in front of him. Yes. I mean, just straight across while he's in motion coming out of the water box and he just had to give up the burnout. And he, you see, he pulled it a little bit left just to make sure that he didn't clip her, but. Um, and then Luke, I, I didn't see the rest of the video, but I'm, I'm guessing he just backed up and, and raced at that point. He didn't, didn't really stop at, at that point. I don't know that any of us would know what to do, what's right, what's wrong, but I think it would have been fair for Connor to stop and go, no, nah, no, nah, let's, let's pull over to the side and, and let me get my, my bearings back about me. And, and then we'll, we'll do this, uh, as soon as I'm ready, but. It's it's worth noting all of this fiasco happens in the quarterfinals of the hundred thousand dollar main event, right? Yeah. And poor Connor Dickerson, my man had a rough weekend, right? I mean, it was literally not much more than twenty four hours prior. He he crashed his family dragster, and, and it's an odd deal. I don't know if you saw the playback, Jed. Like I never really got word on what exactly happened. He was far enough past the finish line that I'm fairly confident saying this was not like an excessive braking issue. It, it was closer to the quarter mile finish line than the eighth mile finish line. And it just looked like it locked up and hung a right and barrel rolled a couple of times, like pretty nasty crash. And um, Connor, who's a, a young guy, that's, that's Turtle Dickerson's uh, son. Connor got the opportunity um, thanks to the McDaniel family that said, Hey, hop in another car, which is pretty awesome all the way around. Right. Hops in another car, and I really, I, I began writing the story in my mind, Jed. Like this is going to be a storybook finish. Young man gets the biggest win of his career in a car that he's never set in before, a day removed from wadding one up, right? Like it, it was setting up that way. And then, so think of all that's going through this young man's mind as he pulls into the water box in the quarterfinal round of a hundred thousand dollar win race, only to have the the Let's, let's call her ring girl for lack of a better term. <laughs> like, so it, it upsets the burnout motion and, and 
Connor ends up losing the round. And I believe he was a couple off the dial in having a fair amount of experience in dragsters. And like, I've driven around the water and not done a burnout at all. Like I'm not ready to say that that had necessarily any impact on him going to above. Like, I don't know that I didn't talk to anyone involved, but it's just, it's not the thing that you need to be thinking about as you're about to stage up in the quarterfinals of a hundred thousand dollar win race. So unfortunate all the way around. I'm a big fan of the win light bets thing, but I think we can rein in the girls a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be a bad idea. And I, I know certainly uh, nobody saw that coming. She, she obviously took that on her upon herself to, to, you know, walk across the racetrack, not knowing when she should or shouldn't and, just a bad deal all the way around, but it was literally a half a second from, from ending much more uh, sad. So sad, uh, sad ending. If, if she had obviously gotten clipped by the car. So good for Connor Dickerson for avoiding her. I mean, I don't, I can't speak to everyone's like burnout procedure, but in anything, but specifically in a dragster, like I don't personally use a a three-step, like when I hit the throttle, I'm staring at the tack because I don't expect anybody to step out in front of me. Like I'm, I would like to think in my peripheral that I would see that and react in a similar way that Connor did, but I, that's a very dangerous position to put yourself in because you're just not used to seeing that as a driver. Yeah, most definitely. I can only, can only imagine what was going through his head. So good, good by him to, to avoid any serious injuries there. Back to the the vibe Saturday night as the the rounds were winding down in the main event. A they they were very very cautious of doing what most like million dollar races have learned this and and are good about it. The various millions, but a lot of times like especially when a, when a schedule gets condensed due to weather or what have you, the way that this one did, it's very easy to try to condense a lot into a short period of time and they were very careful about making this a standalone event. Like we actually got a time trial before first round of the 128 car race and then nothing interrupted it. Nothing, right? Like it was, it ran completely standalone and it's Saturday night in front of the spectator crowd. You've got, it had million dollar race vibes in that it felt like everyone that was competing at the facility was there to watch the hundred grander. You know, obviously at that point, the majority either were not in the race to start with, or certainly weren't in the race down to eight, 16 cars. The hill on the left side of the track is full of spectators. The starting line area, because at, at Bowling Green, the, the staging lanes that they were using are basically behind the water box. And it it was like a scene that you would see at the Outlaw 10.5s, like the, the two finalists emerge from the crowd and then the crowd sucks in behind them. You know what I mean? It, it just had that vibe. And it felt like what was unique about it was it felt like you've got this crazy, exciting vibe. And a lot of that is the 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 fans and the the money at stake and the facility if i'm going to be completely honest just the 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 historic the 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 fame of the allure of beach bend raceway park but it felt like it was a big deal and it felt like it was all about the people there in the moment and that was the one thing that i felt like was different from even say the million dollar is spring fling million because th- while this was broadcast on Motormania, and I'm sure there were thousands of people watching um, in that moment, like it seemed like it mattered to everyone there. Maybe it's because it was at a decent hour of the night. Maybe it's because it was Bowling Green, whatever. 
like that vibe, it didn't seem like it was performative for anyone from the outside. It felt like it was all about the people on hand. And that made being there extra special. Like they turned them around, brought them back up the racetrack and the winner circle is basically right behind the water box as well. So that whole mass of people that converged on the water box right behind the final, they're all still there when they come back to celebrate. Like it was just a really cool atmosphere for Lane Dickin and Taylor Bowling specifically. And it was neat to be a part of. Yeah, Luke, I won't gas bag too much about this, but anytime you can create a vibe or atmosphere or environment that the people that were trying to win and had hoped to win that purse had had been eliminated or just didn't get to compete in it at all, when you can create excitement from them to come out and watch who's actually competing and, and winning it, you've done something pretty special. So I would say uh, Tebow and B-Dub, that probably didn't slip by them. I'm sure they they noticed the the atmosphere that they helped create, and uh, that had probably had get them pretty excited because um, that's hard to do. When, when I'm trying to win 100K and uh, I get beat early and, you know, other people are out there about to win it, I don't know that I'm super excited for them. Um, I'm usually <laughs> – I'm usually in the announcer's booth, so I have to. I, I have the to transparency have some, there, Jim. <laughs> I have to some have some excitement, but I mean, you know, I'm I'm pissed off. I usually lose first or second round, so I'm pissed off for a good two or three more rounds, and then by then I'm you know full of chocolate milk and you know watermelon or whatever else. I'm miserable, fat, and I just really don't care who's winning. But um, these guys all came out and watched who was winning, so. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, it, I did see the scene and it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. It's one of those surreal moments. You got PJ North on the mic interviewing Lane Dickon. you got confetti falling. That's all like, you know, miniature hundred dollar bills. You got the fireworks going in the back. It, it was cool. It was, it was pretty neat. Had to be a really special moment for Lane, for Taylor. Uh, this brings up like a, an, an interesting topic. And we talked a little bit about it off the air. I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. I talked about the vibe there. It felt like it was more about the people at the facility. And although obviously this is broadcast on, on Motormania TV on the live feed, and it just got me to, there's a couple of things that got me to thinking about the live feed world that we live in now and how it's impacted sportsman drag racing. I think it's very difficult to say that it hasn't been a positive, right? And there's a lot of fantastic uh, providers doing it now between um, Mark Walter and the guys at, at Motor Mania, Warren Evans and NHRA TV, the Bang Shift crew, and there are more that I'm, I'm leaving out. But what I wanted to, to focus on, like, obviously it's a, it's a positive. I, I think it sheds more light on certainly the big dollar bracket scene, because I think by and large, the people that are tuning in are racers. Like, I don't know that it's necessarily expanding the reach of the sport a ton, probably a little bit, but I do think it's brought far more attention to the big dollar bracket scene from local racers everywhere, from NHRA racers, from racers that don't typically participate in it, that, that follow it. Right. But what I'm, what I wanted to talk more about Jed is, is the change in the landscape from when we started this, like when, when the internet wasn't really even a thing, much less, you know, racing live on, on a, on a live feed in front of thousands of people. And how that's impacted like the the psychology of competition from from our standpoint as racers. And the reason I bring this up, like I've got 
I've got a friend, right? I'll, I'll single out as to kind of catalyze this this thought process, but I don't think that he's particularly unique. And this dude is locked in, like every every live feed, every day. Like I don't know how much of it he watches. It's a bunch because right, like talks about it all the time. And when he gets the opportunity to then compete on the big stages, it, on the at the live feed events. It's very much a part of his makeup, right? Because he's watching, he's analyzing, he's to some extent judging these racers week in and week out. And when he's on that stage, like the fact that he is on camera and there are thousands of people just like him now watching him, analyzing his moves, judging his positive runs and his mistakes. Like, I don't know that it necessarily impacts his performance, but it is definitely in his mind that that's a thing. And I just, I don't think that's unique to him, Jed. I, I'm curious your take. Yeah, Luke, I definitely don't think it's unique to your friend. And certainly um, uh, it probably applies to better than half of the people that that are on the live feed at any given time. Um now, the impact that it has on them, I'm sure, varies a lot over those people. But as I shared with you, I don't think I've ever pulled up to the line or the burnout box thinking, all right, everybody on, on the live feed is going to see me burn out and go to the line. But just as soon as I've made some dumb mistake or, you know, maybe even a big wind light, I have immediately processed at times okay well everybody's fixing to tear me up for for that stupid mistake or you know i'm probably fixing to hear from some of my buddies because you know i just i just whipped somebody that i i might not should have beaten or you know i just made a killer run or so i think the impact again is different person to person but i can tell you i mean just from a guy who's done got to do a lot of it online um and i don't know if it's because of my my somewhat personal relationship with the chat bleachers and a lot of the people that are watching because i have some some interaction with them that's on a different level but i immediately think about it a lot like oh man that was you know that was so stupid now that everybody's gonna give me a hard time or you know, if I have a, a loss in a big round, you know, if I'm down close in a in a 50 or a 20 and come up short, you know, now I've, I've got to go back up and talk on the live feed about it. So <laughs> that's a, I can't help but think about the live feed and, and the impact that it's going to have on my results or not the impact, the, the um, reaction that there's going to be on my results. And I think that a lot of people that are racing on live feeds have somewhat of a same thought process. Nick Folt said it best. And I think I've said this on the podcast before. This was a decade ago. We were at an NHRA national event, which for a, a long time was like the only way, the only place you could race where your all of your results were broadcast. You know, it was just in number form at that time, you know, Drag Race Central. But he came back from a run and I don't remember what he did. He made some type of pretty egregious mistake. And he's like, man, that's just one of them races. They need to give us two mulligans a year. I'm like, God, that'd be, that'd be nice. I'd like to have that. He's like, no, I don't give a damn about winning or losing. Like there's just two times a year. I want to pull up to the time slip booth and say, y'all can't put that on Drag Race Central. Nobody needs to see that. Right. 
And now you 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 take that idea and throw gasoline on the fire to some extent, right? Because whatever is happening in the moment, yes, it's broadcast live to the masses. Everybody can see it. And and there it's not hyperbole to say there are hundreds of times thousands of people watching. Plus, it's video form. So it's recorded and it can be played back as many times as you like. So your great performances, your bad performances, like they are literally at the at the tip of a finger. If I'm honest, Jed, right now, I, it feels like I'm workshopping something like this will eventually become a, a lesson. And this is Bracket Racing Elite just on the psychology of, of competition. But I, just speaking from personal experience, like it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? I'll use my performance in Las Vegas as an example, like that week for the three, four days at, at this year's Spring Fling Million, like I don't think I've ever driven better in my life, like super proud of the performance that I put forth. And I know that there are people that that watch way more of that than they probably should dedicate way more time to it because I've gotten a lot of compliments. Like, man, that was really an impressive performance, even though I, I didn't, you know, win a race or anything like that, right? At the same time, the way that that performance ended was with a big screw up, right? I took like 50 against a 620 car to lose in, I don't know, whatever it was, 18 cars left in the last race. And I got the, I got the, the meme got made of me. You know what I mean? So you, you swing from one end to the other. Like it is very much a double-edged sword. And that's one weekend in which like I live both, both ends of that experience. And I would like to think, Jed, that I've developed personally like pretty thick skin around that. Like I feel like to some extent, basically by my own choice, like I've kind of raced under a microscope for, you know, a couple of decades. But at the same time, if I'm going to be completely honest, like that does cross my mind, right? The 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 aspect that I, I think I talked about it after the Spring Fling Million, when they brought the cameras down on the starting line and that thing's like following me back from the burnout and feels like it's sitting on the windshield. Like there's a part of me that I actually had to kind of regroup in the moment and be like, okay, I'm going through my routine for me, but this feels performative. You know what I mean? Like. It feels like I'm putting on a show to some extent. So it does cross. I I, I think if that crossed my mind, like I, I, I'm pretty sure that that's not unique to me is what I'm saying. And on a, on a, on various different levels, I think it could have a, a multiple impacts. Um, but like I say, I'm, I'm talking a little bit too much. Like where, where does that, where does that lead your brain? Oh, most definitely. You know, the, just the part that you talked about the camera, um, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Donovan Williams wasn't, a, wasn't a fan. Um, and I would think most people aren't a fan, but seems like reacting to it just makes it very apparent that, you know, it, it's, it's gotten to you in some shape, form or fashion, you know, it's, it's possibly impacting your results. So, um, you know, most did not react to it. Donovan did. Obviously, it didn't didn't seem to bother Donovan a whole lot. He's a he's a young man. Got past it real quick and and still scored well. But um, so that just that aspect alone, Luke, I, that would be that would definitely just put it higher on your your mind or, or or more in the front of your mind. Where I think it it would bother most people uh, a significant amount in terms of just knowing that the event is on motor mania and you know if that changes the way you race 
or changes your strategy any. Um, for me, that would not, my strategy is fairly conservative. Um, that would not impact it whatsoever, never has. And I, I don't think it ever will, but I can definitely see how, uh, well, I can definitely see that there are many people that it, it would impact that way in terms of strategy. Um, certainly, you know, watch this. Hey, hold my beer. Um, I'm facing, I'm facing <laughs> to show you guys something you ain't ever seen. Um, let's, let's be honest. Um, Ryan Gleghorn absolutely loved the guy. He, he made one of the most watched runs in WFC history when he put the phone in his helmet and was talking to, to Jake Hodge on the PA while he was making the run. And he was holding, he always holds plenty, but he was holding a ton. And a lot of that was just for the viewers. He, he, he really just kind of put himself out there for the viewers to have fun and try something different. Uh, obviously that was a somewhat staged moment, but I think a lot of people privately probably tell their buddies, wait till I make my next run right here. You make sure you're watching. I'm, I'm in the lanes right now. Make sure you're watching because this is going to be fun. So there's no doubt in my mind it impacts a lot of racers and how they, how they go out and at least attempt to perform. Yeah. You, you talked about how f- for you, it's, it's an afterthought, right. And, and how you don't feel as though the fact that you're, on the big screen or on the small screen, what have you, um, you know, impacts your performance. And I think most of us listening are nodding our heads and would like to think that we're very much the same way. I just, I was thinking about this the other day. Let me just give three potential scenarios. One actually played out last weekend, just the impact that this stuff has. And it's not just the live feed. It's, it's us and the way that we talk about it. It's the, the, the media industry that is, building up and has built up around our niche of this sport. But it's a great example from the weekend, right? Like we sing the praises of Jess Sarah. We outline his, his typical game plan, right? Like I'm holding more than you do something about it. Right. Well, there was a round at Bowling Green, Jed, Jeff Sarah runs, I'll, I'll leave a name out of this. Um, but, a, a an, an accomplished regional racer from his region that Jeff doesn't know, right. From just, just a long way from home. But had Jeff asked me prior to the the round, and he didn't, to be completely clear, I'd be like, yeah, that dude's going to make a good run, but like you're getting a clean wheel, right? And Jeff pays attention, right? So like this dude didn't dial up 300s, right? Jeff's like, okay, you know, we're good here. Well, said opponent sped his car up like two, three hundreds in the middle. And I mean, dropped like by God drop and made Jeff Sarah look kind of foolish, right? Because you just didn't, you had no reason to expect it was coming. And I'm, my argument here is that did not happen 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because nobody understood Jeff Sarah's typical strategy, right? Now it's broadcast for us and we talk about it. And this dude's like, hey, I got the kryptonite. Right. Like that alone speaks to the impact that 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 this stuff can have. And, and to some extent, maybe the way that people like us talk about it. Example number two, you you alluded to it on some level. Like, I do think that there is a performative aspect to this and there is ego involved on behalf of all of us. Like, I think there is an element to like. I'm not just going to win this race, like. 
I'm going to put up the box score of the year, right? Like I don't want to not be O. And maybe you set up a little bit tighter than you typically would because it's all of a sudden it's not just about winning the race. It's about how I look. It's about looking good doing it, right? And to the same extent, like, hey, I'm going to hold a little more. I'm going to set up a little bit tighter. Y'all hold my beer and watch this, right? I, I do think this sets the stage for an element of that. And then on the other side of that, I think there is abs- I think it's absolutely fair that, to say that there is a fear, not a fear of being on that stage necessarily, of, of, of being in competition at that level and, and, and on screen, but maybe, maybe even um, um, not at the forefront of your mind, maybe there's an element of like, hey, Let's just do what we do here. Let's don't get too far out of our comfort zone because if I widen up the the opportunity to to do something stupid, I don't really want to do something stupid on this stage, right? I'll just I'll just share this. It was it recently. I was at a, a local race and I couldn't. I was having a hard time getting down a racetrack, and I stage up for the the final round. And I got I lost lane choice. I go to the lane that I've struggled to get down. I'm getting chased. And I determined like, hey, the, the best way to, to go about this, my best approach for the round is to dial up a, a year. I dialed up two tenths because I, I didn't think I could. Have, I, did, I knew that my odds were not good of pulling off this trick, right? Holding two tenths, getting chased. But I honestly felt like it was my best option. It was the best chance that I had to win the round. But that's at Joe Blow Raceway in front of maybe 100 people, maybe a dozen that don't even understand what's going on, right? Like that. Nobody cares. I would like to think, now that's an odd situation that you're not typically going to run into at say the million dollar race, right? But given those same parameters, I would like to think regardless of the stakes, I would approach that the same way. But I would be lying if I didn't say it would cross my mind that like, I'm there is a high probability that I don't get this right. And by the way, spoiler alert, I did not get it right. Like I, I, I looked like an idiot in front of the 12 people and now I'm telling many more. But it would have crossed my mind, like there's a high probability of not only not winning here, but looking really stupid in the process. I think I'd go ahead and do it because I don't really care. Like I look stupid all the time, but that would cross my mind that, hey, a lot of people are watching this. And I think there's an element of that that might have an effect. 100% accurate and correct. There's no doubt there's, there's that thought goes through most heads. Um, you know, and again, it could be post wind light whatever lane it falls in before you really think about it, but definitely think about it. And, uh, and, you know, certainly, um, you know, my worst, my worst racing moment in recent years, the dumbest thing I've done was take a football field on a really fast dragster. And I promise you, it was way more worser because it was on motor mania. And so many people were watching then it was even doubly worser because I had to go talk about it. You know, I, I'm the one guy that's got to go up there and, and at least discuss it now on the on the PA to the chat bleachers and everybody else at the track. So, um, yeah, your 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 wonderful moments are elevated, and your terrible moments are elevated because of live feeds and so many more eyes on it. No doubt whatsoever. 
A couple quick T's to cross and I's to dot before we call it a show, Big Jed. There were some other events worth noting over the weekend uh, outside of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Other big winners. How about how about silver parachutes in Maple Grove, buddy? Some of the uh, the, the the not the next generation, the last generation. Getting it done at uh, at the Harrington Nationals up there in uh, in Maple Grove. Tom Dauber getting a twenty thousand dollar win. Mike Hoff getting a twenty thousand dollar win. Those are a couple of legends of the sport that have been at this a long time. Pretty cool to see them still competing at the highest of levels. Yeah, the Red Rocket definitely uh, really cool to see him continue to get it done. This is a guy that's done way more for racing than it's done for him. So great to see Tom in the winter circle, certainly Mike Hoff, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're talking about not only legends in their region, but well-known in many regions of the country for just their longevity and, and talent for decades. So very cool stuff to see them win. Couple other twenty. Yeah. I was going to say, then there was another 20 winner. Yeah, a couple other $20,000 winners from the weekend. Randy Krause got the other day up there at Maple Grove. TJ Harper claimed the uh, the $20,000 main event down in Virginia. Worth a shout out to both of them. Uh, Windmill Nationals, one of my one of my favorite event names, Big Jed, down at Ardmore. Saw uh, Austin Williams get another big win in Super Pro, proving uh, some of his versatility. I believe this was in the Bronco, uh, getting it done uh, off the top. Eighth mile bracket racing for Austin as a $5,000 win. Uh, saw that his teammate, Jeremy Heffler, was uh, a runner-up in no electronics one day, kind of continuing his reign on that area. Runner-up, by the way, to one Scooter Hamlin. Familiar name for those of us here on the show and listeners everywhere. Scooter knocking down a big win off the bottom out there as well. Yeah, pretty standard uh, procedure for Scooter and and certainly all the other winners that you mentioned uh, a lot of talented, talented folks in that region of the country as well. So good to see the windmills go well at Ardmore. Uh, Luke, real quick, um, I want to give a little shout out to Anthony Fetch and J.P. Pascarello. Uh, I, I doubt either one of those guys are tuning in, but, um, you know, the Jim Harrington bracket event that, that you just talked about at, uh, at Maple Grove, uh, those guys have been doing that for a long time, really changed the format over the years. It started out as a foot brake race, and now it's turned into this mega combo top bulb and, and bottom bulb event. Just really cool to see those guys still doing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly um, Tyler Crossnode at, uh, at BMP. You know, Tyler, Tyler probably does as much in the sport, and he's probably as diverse uh, an event promoter, track manager, uh, racer type of guy that, that there is in the sport. So uh, great to see him continuing to have great events there at VMP. And certainly um, I know there's, there's a lot coming for VMP this year, 75 grand are coming up really, really soon. So happy to, to see Tyler continue to do well. Outside of that, Luke, uh, there's just very little on the schedule here coming up that we're going to talk about. Yeah, there's there's not much racing this weekend. I don't know that we'll have a lot to talk about next week. It this why is there not much on the schedule this week, Jed? Well, it is Mother's Day this Sunday, Luke. Let that serve as a public service announcement for all of yes. our listeners. Sunday is Mother's Day. Uh, so next week might be a little bit light. We may or may not have a special guest coming on. Stay tuned for that. 
on the horizon after that. Ted, I know it's one of your favorite events of the season. You'll be headed to Holly Springs for the Dream Team Challenge. I'll be headed to Joliet, Illinois for the return of the Route 66 Nationals. So definitely uh, that week leading up to Memorial Day, I'm sure we'll have some good fodder for the podcast. Yeah, it should be great. Uh, I've uh, I've already put myself out there, the Team Bad Guys uh, video. I don't know if anybody has seen it, but go to my Facebook page. If watch you the Team Bad Guys. It, it, it invest three minutes of your time. It is it is. Should watch it. I agree. Should watch it. Uh, my nephew, Cade Caulfield, Caulfield Media, got that done for all your media needs. Shameless plug. Darks dedicated a week to Nick Ross. <laughs> that was my personal favorite. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> Um, so everybody go to my Facebook page and watch that, uh, watch that video or go on YouTube and watch it. it it's good stuff. Uh, other than that, uh, the dream team event is going to be a lot of fun. Look forward to talking to you about that. Look forward to hearing the Luke's report from the return of the route 66 Nats, which is, uh, a, you know, a longstanding event that's, uh, that's had a little interruption, but, uh, great, to, great to see some racing back at Joliet and, uh, I'm Luke wishing you well. I don't think Sherman Adcock will be there, so you should at least have a chance. I'm telling you there's a chance. Telling me there's a chance. Yes. (laughs) Other than that, guys, that wraps us up. Um, You know, certainly uh, appreciate everybody tuning in and watching, and uh, definitely appreciate uh, those of you that are listening that didn't get to watch. If you got something that you want to mention about the show um, or – you know, if you want to keep that private, we got ways to do that right there at Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can post that right there on the page or you can send us a private message and producer Mark will snag it right up and let us know what you said. Luke, what you got for shouts? I got nothing. Go dogs. Ooh. Ooh. He went blank on me. Go dogs. Um, guys, Luke and I are active on Twitter. We love to hear from you on the Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. At us early and often. We can't wait to hear from you. And we certainly can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more sports than dragons. Oh, it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.